0: you're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas
1: Umstead Jr episode 33 I'm Dustin Hammett I'm Thomas Umstead Jr.
0: welcome to the show where we have an interesting conversation
1: about a fascinating
0: topic We do it almost every single day well well maybe a couple times a week but you know you get the point we we try to talk about the 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 news du jour. And Thomas and I were kind of talking pre-show and we were both sighing and talking about politics. And sometimes it's fun and fascinating. Other times it's just a drag and it gets kind of boring. But I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the ongoing political topic of the, uh, I guess, of, uh, I don't know, the year, the millennium, I don't know, Donald Trump and impeachment. So, Thomas, tell me. After these startling revelations of sexual misconduct, just startling, I don't know if you can hear the sarcasm in my voice, I want you to tell me what your guess is, the odds that President Trump gets impeached.
1: So here's what's interesting. We're right in front of an election, and the left doesn't want to signal that they want Trump impeached. They were very loud about him being impeached back when there was no chance he was going to get impeached. And let's be clear, they don't have the votes currently. Their hope is that they get control of the Senate, they get control of the House, and they're able to impeach Trump. Um, that's not going to happen unless they were somehow able to get two. I think you need two thirds of the house uh, to remove from office. So you can have a hollow impeachment like Clinton, where he was, quote, impeached, unquote, but it didn't change anything. And he's still a beloved president. It didn't turn the mood of the country against him. The people who hated him before hate him now and the people who are ambivalent now like him I and mean, kind of looking back towards history. Um, but the Democrats also really want Trump to be impeached. So they have to dog whistle to their base. We're going to impeach Trump, but they have to do it in coded language so that they don't fire up the right space. <laughs> because what will happen if they're not careful is that they're going to turn 2008 into another 2000 and, or sorry, 2018 into another 2016 where suddenly this becomes a referendum on the president, which all midterm elections are referendums on the president. But this one is like a referendum on if you want to keep the president. It's almost like a recall vote in a sense. And the left both wants that and doesn't want that because they did lose it last time. <laughs> and the uh, and they're like, oh, well, it's because the electoral college is all messed up. And it's like, yeah, but... The Electoral College follows congressional seats and Senate seats. Like you get a vote for every congressional seat and you get a vote for every Senate seat. And so it still maps to this current election.
0: This this talk of impeachment, it's it's like when – and it, here's here's my brain's going. It's like when the Democrats uh, went with the nuclear option a few years ago and they changed the Senate rules and it came to bite them in the butt. So all this is stemming from Donald Trump's uh, supposed, alleged sexual misconduct. I mean, I'm not saying I doubt it. There's, I'd say, a, a pretty decent probability that it's true. Um, does it matter? I mean, morally, but we already kind of had this referendum with Clinton back in the '90s, and the, the 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 precedent that was set by the American people there was, hey. You know, we're still kind of a puritan country and we expect our uh, presidents and leaders to be uh, sexually upright um, in their relationships. But at the, at the end of the day, it's it's really it, it's not it's an impeachable offense, according to what happened in the 90s. But even in the Senate, uh, what what happened there was that he was found uh, what uh, not necessarily not, not guilty, but they didn't convict him and they let him to go on to be president. So in, it's something we joke about to this day. Um, as far as uh, Bill Clinton himself and just sexual misconduct in general. But, you know, the Europeans, they they laugh at us because of this, because the, the attitude in Europe is that they're shocked when their presidents aren't involved in, with multiple mistresses and have sexual misconduct. And it's just kind of a thing that's expected in Europe. Uh, leadership over there, powerful men and women over there have been playing it fast and loose with morals for eons. And uh, so it is it, it is really indicative of our Puritan uh, culture in America that we are still uh, uh, scandalized by this. So um, are they really... Do they have a leg like to stand on as far in terms of the sexual misconduct uh, it, specifically? No, not really. There's really nothing they can impeach him for for this. What they're going to get after is the fact that he tried to pay hush money, campaign finance rules and hush money and this and that and the other. And, you know, uh, Cohen is a fixer and yada, yada, yada. The thing about all that is, Thomas, and I think you and I in the world knows that's not a one party thing, man. And uh, I think the Democrats, uh, especially the ones who are playing uh, fast and loose with their morals, better think twice before they go too far down this road and set a precedent. Cause once that precedent is set, it's hard to come back from it. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. It's, 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 it's kind of touchy. What do you think about it, Thomas?
1: So it's fascinating to me. I, I live in evangelical world, as you know, and I'm definitely on evangelical Facebook. So while I have lots of friends who are not, evangelical, I'm not necessarily Facebook friends with them. I connect with them via other social networks. And when evangelicals are outraged about something, it's very obvious on my Facebook because they're all going on about it. And none of them are talking about Trump's sexual escapades ever. It and it's fascinating me because these are often the exact same people that I saw outraged over Clinton's escapades. And the things that we didn't like about Clinton was that he was a liar and that he was promiscuous. If you could distill it down to its quintessential core, why do we dislike Clinton? He's a liar and he's promiscuous. It wasn't because he was particularly, um, liberal on the policies. Uh, I mean, he had some liberal policies, but he also worked with the Republicans on some issues. And, and sure he was a Democrat. So that was probably maybe the third thing. It's like he was, was, he was a liar. He's promiscuous and he was a Democrat. He was a liberal Democrat. Um, but that's what you would expect from a Democrat uh, for them to be a Democrat. Like that's not a surprise. That's not something to be scandalized over. And, So we look at Trump and he'll often say one thing and then say the opposite thing sometimes the very next day. And no one's outraged that he's lying or that he's offered two versions of the truth. And no one's really questioning whether he's promiscuous. I mean, he's been on Howard Stern bragging about his promiscuity. Like this is not a secret. This is, you know, some would say a feature, right? He he's a player. He's got all these women who who want him because he's so powerful and rich, and because he is not ashamed of his behavior, no one feels like they have the moral authority to say you should be ashamed of your behavior, and, and that's just fascinating to me. I I still think character matters. In fact, I the older I get, the more I feel that character matters uh, more than the particular. Policy positions because I realize that we are in a representative um, democracy or a constitutional republic, and what we're doing is we're electing men and women of good character to make good decisions with the information that they have, and not to be robots who vote along a you know a line of issues. And, and some people want a robot who votes along a line of issues, and as long as you do the thing that I want on the issue that I want, you can be as much of a scalawag as. Uh, You care to be as long as you do my issue. But I feel like that undermines our moral integrity as a country. I like the fact that American presidents morally were held to a higher standard than French presidents. I don't think that French presidents and their many mistresses should be our standard. I think that there's something nice about not being French. (laughs) We already have a France. This is the only America that we have. And I think there's something special here that needs to be protected.
0: I don't. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree with you. Um, on the basis of character and leadership, uh, I, th- I, I think we all want somebody who is of upstanding character. And you know what? That's that's an absolute, and we should be, we've got to be careful with that. I think a lot of us want someone who is of upstanding moral character. So I'm thinking back through the list of presidents and presidential candidates uh, over the past uh, ten or so years. So we had Obama. And, you know, problems with his politics. Was he playing some political games behind the scenes? You know, he's a Chicago machine Democrat. So I can't for a second doubt that he was playing some games back there. But as far as a human man... I don't really have any problems with his character. Everything that I know about him shows that he is a faithful husband to his wife and a good father to his children. So as far as a family, man, I really got to respect him. I haven't seen anything, and maybe you know something that I don't, that shows anything but a good moral character in that sense. Um, George W. Bush, you know, same thing. He was a, a good man, faithful to his wife uh, you know, he he had his own troubles growing up as a kid and with uh, with substance abuse, got over that. Um, and both from what you hear in popular reports, but also from what I hear who from friends of mine who have actually met him is he is a good human being. He's generally interested in people. Um, you know, he's been quiet as a as a former president. You really just don't hear a lot from him. And uh, he really just kind of does his own thing. He's he's active in charity, you know. His so he the same thing, you know. Character wise, George W. Bush, uh, Barack Obama, are good men. Um, and then you know we have the John McCain's, we have the Mitt Romneys, who are who are the same way. You know, they're 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 pretty morally upstanding individuals. So I think for the most part, the individuals that the American people select or that their parties select. To stand before the public as uh, a, a, a candidates for the highest office in the land. Generally speaking, the job description requires them to be, at least on the surface, morally upstanding individuals. And the exceptions, as you already mentioned, Thomas, the two exceptions there are Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. Those two, opposite sides of the political spectrum, two peas in a pod, because even just reaching back in my memory when I was still a kid, when Bill Clinton was running for the presidency, I don't think there was anybody out there that thought that he was faithful to Hillary Clinton. I don't think anybody thought that for a second. And uh, you just as you already mentioned, nobody thinks that about Donald Trump. So there are times, um, and it's interesting, but there are times where your electorate, whether it's you know evangelical Christians or uh, uh, liberals on the other side, are willing to just close their eyes and just not talk about that stuff if it is benefiting their political stance. And in this most recent election, just my last point on character before I hand it back to you, this most recent election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, if Hillary Clinton had been a woman widely known for her moral character— I believe that no matter what she did, she would have defeated Donald Trump. However, Hillary Clinton, on both sides of the aisle, is you know whether you're a Democrat and you just acknowledge it and don't talk about it, or a Republican and you scream about at the top of the, your lungs, uh, your, your your lungs is is widely known as just the that the Machiavellian politician of politicians, and she's kind of a sleazebag. When, when you peel back the onion layer. So in this most recent election, we had a sleaze bag versus a sleaze bag. And it's really interesting which way the American people want, uh, went with uh, which sleaze bag. What do you think, Thomas?
1: I mean, it's not about outrunning the bear. You know, you're not running against George Washington. You're running against the other person in the race. And that's good for everyone who's running because no one's going to be able to outrun George Washington. He's the bear and his, you know, he wasn't perfect, but our perception of him having high moral character, especially in a political context, has held, has forced us to hold our presidents to a high moral standard. And I'm really thankful for him for doing that. If he had been a very corrupt president and was using the office to enrich himself, um, I think the nation may not have lasted this long. And it definitely would not have had as good leaders as it has had. That said, it's kind of like when you're in those racing games and there's the ghost car of you that's like your best time on that track and in a sense there's the ghost of George Washington and it's always still on the track still running for president. He's the one guy who got elected unanimously the first time he ran and the one guy who um, could have run a third time and chose not to just because of character because he wanted to be Cincinnati, which is a discussion uh, for another time. And I feel like the ghost of George Washington still haunts our presidents, and that standard still haunts our presidents, and I think that's a good thing, just like the ghost of uh, King Arthur haunts uh, British kings. You know, there's this standard of this just king who had a circular table and he treated his nobles with equality. And He was brave and true, and if you want to be a good king, you have to be just and brave and true, and you have to protect the weak. And that is different than the ghost that uh, haunts the czars of Russia and the leaders of Russia. And you're like, well, who who's the ghost that haunts them? What's the ideal leader that they hold up? And it's like, well, it's given away in what they call themselves. They're Russians, and yet they call themselves czars when they become the most powerful man in the country. And what is czar for? It's Russian for Caesar. <laughs> Caesar. They want to be Julius Caesar, who was a very corrupt, very evil man who used his office to enrich himself. He was also a brilliant tactician, a brilliant communicator, and very powerful and killed everyone who opposed him until he got killed himself. And I think that that tells you a lot of what you need to know about Russia's leadership style and the kind of leaders they expect and what they expect from, of their leaders. Now I do want to point out cuz I know some of you are shouting at your iPhones right now. Clinton wasn't impeached for sexual misconduct. He was impeached for lying under oath. But in the court of public opinion, the nuances were lost of what exactly he was impeached for. Impeached for because what he lied about under oath was his sexual relationship. And some people are like, well, of course you'd lie about your sexual relationship. Everyone does that. That's not perjury. That was kind of the line on the left. And the line on the right was like, no, truth is truth. You've got to protect truth, especially when you're under oath. If you lie about anything under oath, um, that is an impeachable offense. We've got to get you out of office to keep that from poisoning the country where people can think they can just say whatever they want under oath and there are no consequences to lying. And you have uh, Clinton saying, well, it depends what you mean by is, right? Just questioning the very like essence of English as a language <laughs> to try to get out from saying the truth or speaking clearly. And um, we we stood up against that in the 90s. I don't know if we have the moral authority to stand up against that now. I don't know who has that moral authority. The left doesn't have it. They don't have moral authority on uh sexual issues you know they from their perspective as long as it's two consenting adults there's nothing that is inappropriate uh so they don't have the moral authority the moral authority is going to have to come from the church and i have yet to see anyone in the church stand up and say this is wrong even though you're doing what we want politically you're still not being uh you're not living up to the standards we have uh for you morally we'll see if it happens
0: yeah, I appreciate that clarification, Thomas. Because I don't think I made that point very well. So, yeah, you, yes, uh, Bill Clinton was uh, indicted for perjury and was tried in the Senate on that charge. Uh, the point that I was trying to make was, you know, was he really indicted for perjury, or was that just the was that just the hammer uh, that was swung to hit the nail? Um, and, and it's my opinion that that was just, you know, that was just the hammer that was swung to hit the nail. Just like it's 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 not the fact that Donald Trump paid hush money to. Uh, A porn star, it's the fact that's the tool that can be used um, to get at him within the confines of the law. Uh, That's just the tool that is being wielded by the uh, people who consider themselves anti-Trumpers. So I think, so yeah, I appreciate that clarification because you are 100% correct. Um, But the point I was trying to make was... When there's politicians all over the place that are perjuring themselves uh, under oath all the time, and they get, uh, you know, relative light sentences, slaps on the wrist, or what happens, I believe, uh, more often than not, probably under the table, is it just swept under the rug for political expediency's sake. Um, I think that when you bring something like this to the forefront, it's more of a political tool. Um, as a point, I want to bring up uh, Representative Duncan Hunter who is a representative from California. One of my, uh, uh, I, I liked him, Representative Hunter, because he's a former Marine. He was, uh, you know, he stood tall on issues that are important to me personally, veterans issues, etc. cetera, uh, has recently been indicted uh, by a uh, U.S. attorney, I believe, or a federal grand jury uh, at the behest of a U.S. attorney on charges of campaign finance, uh, misuse of campaign finance funds. So did he do it? Um, you know, he acknowledged that he made some mistakes in the past and that he used the wrong credit card, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Did it go beyond that? Possibly. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's an interesting point. This investigation into him has been going on for two years. He is up for uh, re-election in, uh, what, uh, four months now, um, is, you know, was the timing of this indictment, is it fortuitous timing or was it, uh, political calculation? And... You know the fact that the U.S. attorney over there is is a Democrat and uh, has some ties to the Democratic Party makes one wonder if this is just a political tool. And I'm, I, I have a I have a tendency, Thomas, uh, to be overly righteous, to have an overdeveloped sense of justice. I say yes, let's prosecute people for you know playing loose with uh, campaign funds. As is the letter of the law. But if you're going to apply it one way, you have to apply it equally across to everybody. And I think we are suffering from that. And I think these end up just becoming political tools.
1: Are you saying the left is using grand juries as a political weapon? What? They've never done that before. <laughs> so one of the challenges that we have is that your typical American is not particularly well-educated on the criminal justice process, especially if they're a law-abiding citizen. And a lot of Americans don't know what it really means to be indicted or what the difference is between being indicted and being convicted. And the left has made hay with this over the last 20 years, where they will indict somebody on a charge that they didn't do But they will announce the indictment because once the indictment is delivered by the grand jury, it becomes public. So up to that point, everything a grand jury does is is held in utmost secrecy. And the seal of the grand jury is not broken even after the grand jury adjourns. So I was on a grand jury for three months and I still can't talk about the specific cases that we saw and the names of the people that came through the grand jury. Because if somebody was uh, not indicted, you know, a prosecutor brought charges and they were not indicted, our job is to protect the reputation of that uh, presumed innocent person. Uh, how they've twisted this is they will indict someone and release the information right about now, uh, early September, uh, late August, and let it haunt them through the election. And then, very often, the day after the election, after that person has lost, Uh, they will then drop the investigation. Uh, Travis County District Attorney was famous for doing this and haunted conservative um, political figures and got quite a few out of office, including, I think, uh, Speaker of the House. Uh, We had a uh, Speaker of the House that was hit or stung that way. Um, I think Rick Green was stung that way. So it... It, it's a very common technique, which makes me sad because the burden of proof for an indictment is pretty low. It's just probable cause. Like I suspect this might have happened, so we're going to give the indictment. And the whole point of an indictment is it's giving uh, the process, it's moving the process along so that it can go to trial, so that there can be an actual investigation and an actual conviction. And announcing indictments like this is really early, and the timing was really suspicious. That said, the things that he's accused of doing are really shameful. And I remember Duncan Hunter. I remember going to the straw poll uh, supporting Ron Paul, and um, in Texas there was a big GOP straw poll in 2007 for various uh, candidates. And no, maybe earlier than that. I don't remember when it was. Anyway, Duncan Hunter was there. Ron Paul was there, and Duncan Hunter was the only guy I didn't hate. (laughs) of the other candidates running <laughs> against Ron Paul. And he's the one who won partly because the party put the, their finger on the scale for him. None of the big candidates came to the straw poll. Ron uh, Paul was actually the biggest candidate at the straw poll, which is fascinating. Uh, Texas just doesn't matter for presidential politics and presidential candidates can't even bother to be show up for a poll of party insiders. Um, but it it does make me sad if this if this is true that Duncan Hunter spending ten thousand dollars to fly his bunny to Europe. I mean, that that's kind of crazy. That's not swiping your credit the wrong credit card. That's just being bad with money. <laughs> no bunny's worth that. <laughs> and I own a rabbit. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. I, I I hope it's not true. I hope it's overdone. But you know. I gotta let the process run its course. It's interesting, Tom, since you brought up the uh, the use of the grand jury as a, as a political weapon. Um, and you brought up um, you know, there in Travis County. Uh, for those uh, who are those those of us who are not familiar with uh, Texas politics, this is actually a really fascinating case study uh, because what happened. I, I encourage everybody to go look this up. We'll, we'll try to put a couple links in the show notes. What What happened was the governor at the time. It was uh it was Rick Perry, wasn't it? Yes, I think it was Rick Perry. Um, defunded the Travis County in the city of Austin, which is the capital of Texas, lies within Travis County. And the Travis County attorney had, the the district attorney had a a special office, uh, which was designed and funded by the state, uh, was designed to look into political misconduct under Rosemary Laneberg. Like you said, she was very famous for using this as a political tool. Fun fact, Uh, She was uh, convicted of DWI. Great video to watch. Very entertaining. Highly recommend everybody look that one up.
1: Tried to use her power and position to get out of a clear DWI. Uh, Talk about the... Oh, she was drunk (laughs) as a skunk. And and the police... Good on the police, because I imagine it's very scary to arrest the district attorney. So they filmed every second of her custody. They had somebody with a camera on her.
0: They called in supervisors. (laughs) I think they had, it was the Travis County Sheriff's. They had lieutenants. They had sergeants. Man, they had more stripes and bars running around that investigation they knew
1: what to do with. Every I was dotted. Every T was crossed. And six people triple checked it.
0: Oh, you know it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you know it. Anyway, so we got away from the point, which was the fact that as a result of... Her use of this office as a political weapon, uh, Rick Perry defunded, uh, threatened to, and then defunded her office, which then subsequently went to uh, uh, an indictment phase. He was indicted for this. It went to trial. He was found not guilty. This is just a uh, use of his—it uh, was, it was basically—I'm I'm kind of boiling this down. Thomas, I'm sure you brush it up for me. It was uh, the Court the of Public Opinion— what I got out of it was this is an acceptable use of political power to um to, to to defund uh politics like this. So uh yeah, it's a really fascinating case study. This whole political drama within the city of Austin, Texas. And for those who live near the city of Austin, the city of Austin, the city, Austin, the city government itself and the state legislature, the state government are constantly butting heads. And the state legislature loves to poke the city of Austin in the eye any chance it gets. So the city of Austin, being the liberal mecca that it is, enforced a plastic bag ban inside the city limits. They said that no merchandiser could put their merchandise inside of a plastic bag, um, which was obviously, everybody knows, pretty common practice. And then the city uh, somehow made it up to the uh, courts. So I guess it wasn't really the state legislature, it was the state courts. It uh, made it up to the courts and the courts slapped it down saying it was a violation of commerce. And uh, they just, the, the the state government loves slapping down the city of Austin, any and every chance it gets. It's really funny to watch.
1: Yeah. I didn't care too much about the plastic bags, but I was very happy when the state slapped down Austin on the Uber uh, to clarify uh, and correct what I said earlier. It wasn't speaker of the house. It was the Senate uh, majority leader. And it was Tom delay. Yeah, so Tom delay, got pulled in by this same Travis County District Attorney, which fun fact, Travis County was the grand jury that I served on <laughs> when I was going through um, the like swearing-in ceremony. I was like, I've seen this lady before. Who is this lady? It's the <laughs> only time I saw her and I was like, oh, I saw her in that video when she was drunk that one time. <laughs> she, she never uh, appeared before for our uh, grand jury, um, uh, she had but, minions for that. Yeah, she she had she had people for that. But uh, she and she is no longer the Travis County um, District Attorney. She's she's been replaced. And I hear that everything's been cleaned up uh, in that office. Or a lot of changes have been made. Uh, so all of this to say, corruption always exists. You're always going to have a certain amount of corruption in your political system. But it, and it's kind of like cancer. You always have cancer cells in your body. And a healthy body is identifying those cancer cells. And the uh, white blood cells of your body are inviting those cancer cells to go live somewhere else. <laughs> uh, and you're clearing the cancer cells out of your body the same way you're clearing bacteria and viruses out of your body. Uh, but just like cancer, if you allow too much um, corruption to grow the removal process suddenly is no longer automatic. It suddenly becomes painful where you have to cut into the body to physically remove the cancer. And if that doesn't work, the treatment is even more painful. It's a systemic treatment that is, um, potentially fatal. And if you're still unable to remove the cancer, the cancer will eventually win and destroy the body. And you, and, um, You see this with countries, and typically the country that loses a war is the country with the more corrupt political system, whether it's Carthage being so corrupt they couldn't pull it together to beat Rome, even though they had clearly superior leadership and clearly superior troops, Uh, but their uh, corruption uh, got in the way all the way to more modern wars, um, like, um, the Mexican-American war, where the government was so afraid, the Mexican government was so afraid of their own citizens, they wouldn't release, uh, their weapons so that the citizens could arm themselves to fight off the invaders because they were more afraid of their own citizens being armed and having power than they were of the Americans conquering them. <laughs> so, um, when that's your mindset, you can't win a war. Uh, I mean, imagine if the tides were turned and Mexico was invading America. America put a hand in every single citizen's hand. Many of the citizens already had uh, weapons in their hands. They were members and felt uh, connected to and served by their government and would have fought to defend it, uh, even if they weren't a member of the armed uh, forces. And this corruption, we have to constantly be cutting it out when we find it. And when we see it, we've (laughs) got to get rid of it, especially when it's in our own party. It's much easier for Republicans to deal with other Republicans than it is for Republicans to deal with Democrats. Because like, oh, you're just attacking me because you want my power, political power. And often that's true, right? The reason, and this is one of the benefits of the two-party system is the two parties uh, try to keep each other honest. <laughs> so I was the um, election judge for a um, primary election and the Democrat party and the Republican party are both running a election at the same table with the same voting machines and we we're watching each other to make sure the other side's not cheating. <laughs> and it was the most honest election I've ever witnessed in my entire life. Um, and, and that's how elections are, right? We, we keep each other honest. And, and that process, that system has got to work. And, if you're willi- and you need to be willing to clean up your own party. All of that to say, I, I think that we've got to, you know, anti-corruption, getting rid of corrupt people, people who are using the office to enrich themselves is so important. And if Duncan Hunter really is guilty, uh he needs to be prosecuted and if he's not guilty um he you know he needs to not be obviously the problem is is that there's no way to find out before the election what they should have done is release this information during the primary season so that he could be replaced with somebody else in his own party. It would have been easier to get the corruption out because most likely he's going to win re-election. Voters don't care about this nearly as much uh, as they care about what party you're in, which makes me sad, but it also matters, right? It makes sense, right? If guns and abortion are really important to you, It makes sense that you'd rather have the corrupt person who is, you know, taking a little bit of money off the side, but who's going to not kill babies and not take away your guns, rather than an honest man who's going to honestly kill babies and honestly take away your guns. I get that. I get that. I just wish that these district attorneys um, would be more against corruption and less trying to uh, empower their own political party. End of speech. (laughs)
0: <laughs> End of speech. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 you got to be careful with it because if you're using our criminal justice system as a tool to persecute um, the other, members of the other political party, a the criminal justice system is there for one thing only, and that is to prosecute people who are criminals. But if it's used as a tool, as a political tool, it starts becoming very very ugly, very very fast, um, and you start going down the road of some pretty ugly stuff, which we've seen in history, which we see with. Uh, uh, I'll call less efficient governments uh, across the world today, where all of a sudden, you know, you get out of office, the opposing party gets in office and now you found yourself in jail uh, for doing stuff, you know, that is the normal course of business or that the other party's doing too, but it, it becomes a tool and gets really ugly fast. So I resent very much the criminal justice process, which is so flawed already being used as a political weapon. And, And, and yeah, it almost gets to the point where I think prosecutors should have a little bit more skin in the game in terms of, and they've kind of done this in Texas on the criminal side um, with the, with the, um, I can't remember his name, but the guy here in Williamson County, who was uh, falsely convicted uh, so long ago and, and uh, ended up, it was found out that, you know, Uh, sculpatory evidence was withheld, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So here in Texas, they create a law about it and you're making sure that you release all the information. If you don't, a prosecutor can be held, uh, political or criminally liable, which I think is important. So I think these prosecutors need, make sure they have a little bit of skin in the game too. So if they're going to be unscrupulous, we can reach back and snag them up. But, uh, but yeah, you know, that's the perfect world, Thomas. And, we, we, we live in the world as it is. But we
1: strive for that perfect world. We race against the ghost of George Washington on the Mario Kart field, hoping that by going against him and trying to catch up uh, to his example, perhaps it will cause us to go faster than we otherwise would have uh, gone. It's all about who you let set your pace. Uh, one final story, and then uh, I know we need to go, but uh, there's this uh, movie about this... Uh, old man who never became a major league baseball player he, he was a coach a baseball coach and he ends up at the end of the movie playing um professional baseball as the oldest rookie i think it's the name of this rookie of the year and uh does it star kevin costner yes but during the <laughs> show he's pitching for his players and they don't realize that they are swinging against a major league pitcher They just think, oh, yeah, this is our old coach. What does he know? And so they have to learn how to hit when he's throwing. And then when they go up against these high school uh, pitchers, they're knocking it out of the park left and right. And I think they win the the state championship or they make it to the uh, state uh, playoffs. Like, they do very, very well as a team. And the reason that they do very well is they're being held to this high standard. And just because it's a high standard doesn't mean that we should throw it away. We should... uh, you know, hold our presidents to the standard of George Washington and don't uh, use a lower standard of the last guy because if you always use the standard of the last guy, you'll always slip until eventually you've lost your former greatness. So, anyway, those are our thoughts. We want to know what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at libertybuzzard.com. Uh, we would, And if you would be willing, leave us a, a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this is so important for how people discover the show. And we do not have very many reviews right now. So if you would leave a review, we would greatly appreciate it. Only if it's a nice one. <laughs> Any review at this point, we'll take whatever we can get.
0: <laughs> but I like <laughs> so the anyway, nice ones.
1: <laughs> yes, we, we we need some encouragement in our lives. Uh, we realized this was a political episode. We haven't talked a lot about politics. So let us know if you like political episodes or if you want us to talk more about futurism or if there's a topic that's burning on your heart do let us know this was episode 33 i'm thomas Umstadt jr i'm dustin hammett and you've been listening to liberty buzzard this episode of liberty buzzard is brought to you by tom umstat cpa tom has over 35 years of experience helping people like you pay only their fair share in taxes don't let the irs stress you out get tom and his team on your team at TaxmanTom.com.